Thank you. Thank you for being here tonight. We really appreciate it. <clears throat> invite your attention if you have your Bible. Hope you bring your Bible to these services. John chapter 17, we are in the prayer of Jesus. And I'd like to look with you tonight at the part of the prayer, at least the beginning of it, where Jesus makes a little bit of a shift in the prayer. And as he's been talking to the Father and <clears throat> just basking and bathing in the relationship with he and the Father. In verse 9, he <clears throat> begins also focus his attention on praying for the disciples. Later on down in the prayer, he also prays for us, those who will believe through the disciples' ministry. And so I'd like to look with you tonight at verses 9 through 11, just a bit of that prayer where Jesus is praying for the disciples he says in verse 9, I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And all mine are yours, and yours is mine, and I am glorified in them. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you, Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me that they may be one as we are. We come tonight again, Jesus, and we recognize tonight that every single good thing in this service is from you and because of you. All of the singing, all of the giving, all of the fellowship, all of the spirit of worship, everything tonight that is lasting, everything tonight that makes a difference, and oh, tonight, God, we ache that you'll make a difference in every one of these services, in every Bible study, in every service on the hill or the youth tabernacle, the children's tabernacle, tiny tots, the nursery, the cafeteria. We're praying, oh Lord, that this week would be a life-changing week. We come to camp not only for the great fellowship and for the sense of family reunion and these wonderful relationships, we come, Jesus, because we need you. We need a refreshing. We need a movement in our lives. We need to get closer to you. We need revival in our own hearts and lives. It's no knock on us. It's no knock on the church that we need revival. We need your moving. From the youngest of us tonight under this tabernacle to the oldest of us under this tabernacle tonight, we pray for something life-changing. And we need you tonight for that. And so we trust you, it is the power of your word, <clears throat> empowered by your Holy Spirit, who takes the word and speaks it to each one of us exactly where he or she is tonight. Thank you for that, God. Thank you tonight that it does, does not depend on a musician, it does not depend upon the preacher, but it depends on you tonight. We thank you, we love you, and we wait on you to just do the amazing, miraculous thing that you do in the preaching of your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Through our, uh, through our own children's schooling, uh, you know how it is when your kids go to school, you kind of learn yourself, you know. You're looking over homework and you're helping with homework in some cases and then in their later years in high school, they're showing you how to do stuff that you don't know how to do, you know how it is. And so one of the interesting things, I, I think it's interesting, is... Uh, 
is my kids' math. It's, it's been a fascinating journey on math. And uh, all the years in our math, uh, our kids have used uh, Saxon math. Has anybody here you ever used Saxon math? Many of you do today. In the old days, Saxon math. So one interesting thing I learned about Dr. John Saxon's approach to math, I, I thought it was an interesting uh, principle. John Saxon, in his, uh, in his teaching, in his uh, philosophy of, of learning math, uses what he calls the spiral technique. And I apologize tonight, I don't mean to bring up a sore subject of math when we're only weeks away from school, but, yeah, you know, it's okay. Thank you, Jesus, for your grace. But John Saxon's idea is that what he calls the spiral. And, and the idea with the spiral approach is that you're learning a concept, and then when you go on to the next concept, you're not leaving the old concept. What he does is he weaves or spirals the old concept in with the new concept. And then you, when you go on to the next concept, he is spiraling in that old concept and the previous concept into that new concept. And it's like you're constantly doing this review. It's constantly, you know, whatever, whatever new concept you're learning, it's like you're constantly revisiting the old concepts because it's all woven together. It's all kind of spiraled into what you're experiencing in the new. I thought that's an interesting application for relationships. I don't know about you, but I think relationships work that way. All relationships, whatever kind of relationship you're in tonight, marriage, uh, parent-child, um, friendships, church family, even as we share in the memorial service tonight, previous to this, as we hear the testimonies and we hear these great stories of these saints who have gone before us, and we talk about how we remember them and what stands out to us, it seems to me all relationships work on that spiral principle. There's, of course, all the old, con there's the old memories that we have together, there's the experiences that we have together, and there's no relationship without shared experience, you know. How many of us, when we get together, you know, we retell the old things, and, and we laugh about the old things, and we remember the old things that happened together. So all of a relationship is always built on the past or the previous. But I propose to you tonight that there's no such thing in, there's no such thing as a relationship where there's not the new that's woven in with the old. It's great to have past experiences, but there's no real relationship without new experiences together. Amen? Any marriage thrives on the new experiences that we have with each other. Any friendship experiences on the new memories that we make together. Parent-child relationships, one of the great privileges and blessings and stretching things for me right now is moving into the stage of adult children and it's the whole idea of, hey, we're, we're experiencing brand new things together, but it's still the relationship, and there's the foundation of the memories and the experiences and all we've had together, but without the new experiences, there's really no relationship. I propose to you that spiritual relationship with Jesus works that way. Spiritual relationship with Jesus has to work that way. We can testify tonight to the old experiences that I've had. Some of us have had those experiences at this very altar or in this very tabernacle or maybe up on the hill at an altar somewhere on this campground or maybe back in a, in a children's tabernacle. Maybe some of those memories, some of those experiences with Jesus, we can give those testimonies tonight right here. I really like testimonies of the saints, don't you? I love to hear the testimonies of the saints, what Jesus has done for me. The longer I serve him, the sweeter he grows, what he's done in my life in the past. But I say to you tonight, there's only one thing in the world, in the universe, in the church that's better 
than the testimonies of the saints. And it's this, new testimonies of the saints. <laughs> it's when I can testify tonight not just to what, where I've been and what Jesus has done and the past relationship, but the spiral, if you will, or the weaving of the brand new thing that he's been doing in my life lately. See, relationship with Jesus depends upon the freshness, doesn't it? Just like any relationship, a friendship. No recent communication, not much relationship. No recent experiences, no new experiences, just what happened a long time ago, the relationship gets stale. But with Jesus, there's this, since he's real and since he's alive, and since it's, it's not a religion and it's not just a past experience, it's a brand, it's a walking with him and a talking with him, and he tells me that I am his own. And I propose to you that the Christianity rests on, let alone holiness, rests on the freshness and the new spiral of relationship that we can have with Jesus tonight. I wonder if I could ask you tonight, I wonder if we had time and we could go all around the tabernacle tonight. I wonder what would happen if, if it came to me tonight and if it came to you and if the microphone was handed to me tonight and if the microphone was handed to you and I was asked, what is the newest thing that's happened in my life in relationship with Jesus? What's the new truth that he's shown me? What's the new change that he's made in my life? What's the new way that he just his truth pierced my heart and pierced my soul and it brought me to my knees and I surrendered in a new way and God has been doing something brand new, the new spiral, the new something being woven in my life. I wonder tonight, when the microphone came to me or it came to you tonight, what would you say? Could you say that there's something new tonight, something fresh, something alive in relationship with Jesus? I love in the prayer how you kind of see that spiral, if you will, of relationship between Jesus and the Father. It's interesting, of course, Jesus was a long time before John Saxon, but it's interesting how Jesus in the prayer, you see Jesus in the prayer, it's like in the prayer he never forgets the things he said at the beginning of the prayer. In, in the prayer when we come to verses 9 through 11, Jesus revisits, reemphasizes, refocuses on two important things that he's been saying all throughout the prayer. One of them that's amazing is his constant, I never get over this, his constant attention to the Father. And we saw that from the beginning of the prayer. His just absolute, 100%, no matter what he's doing, no matter where he's at, he has this awareness, this consciousness, this sensitivity to the Father. When you get to verses 9 through 11, it's interesting to count how many times the word you or yours is repeated as Jesus is addressing the Father. In other words, he's constantly focused on you, Father, and this is yours. And his attention is never off the Father in anything. Then he comes to verse 11 and he he mentions this, he addresses the Father by this, by this amazing, this respectful, this, this worshipful term where he says in verse 11, I come to you, Holy Father. And again we see one of the spiraling concepts through the prayer from the very beginning is Jesus' constant, worshipful, sensitive, reverent, loving awareness and focus on the Father which leads to a second principle that we see woven spiral throughout the prayer, and that is his constant 
dependency on the Father. Holy Father, I can't do a thing apart from you. Holy Father, I'm addressing you tonight in this prayer, Father. It was nighttime. I'm addressing you in this prayer because there is not one single thing I can do apart from you, Father. This whole thing, this whole thing, Father, from beginning to end depends upon you. But when he comes to verse 9, and especially into verse 10 and 11, he spirals in, he weaves in a new concept. And the only way I know to explain it tonight, I, uh, I'm in process in this, I'm, I'm, I'm learning at the feet of Jesus and, and trying to hear this prayer. So if, if you'll allow me tonight, the best way I know to describe this new concept that is introduced in the prayer is what I call the concept of a shared life. A shared life between Jesus and the Father. The sharing of life. Look at how Jesus says in verse 10, all mine are yours and yours are mine. And there's this concept in the prayer of Father, I am literally yielding to you all that I have and all that I am. Father, there's nothing that I can call my own. There's not one single thing. There's not, there's not anything in my life, Father, that I'm going to hold on to. Paul reiterates that in his beautiful, in the Kenosis prayer passage of, of Philippians chapter 2, where, where, where it talks about Jesus. He, he, he surrendered. He, he would not grasp. He, he did not consider equality with God even something to be grabbed or held on to, but became a a man and a ser- humbled himself to the point and became a, in the form of a servant, a man, and humbled himself to the point of, of death, even, even the means to the cross. Now, one single thing, Father, is mine. All I have is yours. And somehow in the, re- in the sharedness of that, in, in what one theologian calls the exchanged life, I like that idea, that Jesus surrenders all that he is and somehow in that exchange, the Father places into Jesus and into Jesus' hands all that he has and all that he is. You see that? It's the shared life or the exchanged life, if you prefer. Uh, Doug, Doug Daft and I have, have been having a little conversation about John 15, and I like talking to Doug because he always stretches me in my thinking. And we were talking about that idea in John 15. Abide in me and I in you. It's the shared or the exchange life. And we see this throughout John's gospel, this concept of the shared or exchange life between Jesus and the Father. We go back to chapter three of John's gospel and we see Jesus saying things like this in verses 34 and 35. For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God. For God does not give the spirit by measure. John three thirty-five. the Father loves the Son listen, the Father loves the Son, and he has given all things into his hands. It's amazing. Jesus is surrendering all that he is into the Father's hands, and in that exchange or that sharing of life, the Father is giving all things into the hands of the Son. It's repeated over in chapter 5. This passage in chapter 5 where Jesus says in verse 20, the Father loves the Son. 
and shows him all things that he himself does. And he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. And he goes on to elaborate. For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son. Verse 26. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. And has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. You see the concept over and over? Jesus surrenders all that he is, exchanges all that he is, the Father places in Jesus all that the Father is. Chapter 16, verse 15 in the same Gospel of John, all throughout John's writings really, Jesus says, all things that the Father has are mine. All that the Father has is mine. All that I have is his, and all that he has is mine. We see it described in chapter 14. We've already referred to those verses. We won't read them again in chapter 14, verses 10 and 11, where Jesus says, hey, it is the Father who dwells in me who does the works. Peter repeats that same idea in the great Pentecost Day sermon in Acts chapter 2, where Peter stands, and, and near the beginning of that incredible sermon on the day of Pentecost, Peter says in Acts 2.22, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him. Again, the exchanged life, the shared life concept that Jesus is constantly, Father, all that I have is yours, not one thing in reserve, and in that exchange somehow, all that the Father has is taking place in Jesus. You know what the best part about it is tonight? That's the relationship we get to have with him. <laughs> In the same way, this is the entire message of these chapters in the Gospel of John. That's what the abiding message was all about in chapter 15. And in chapter 14, it was, hey guys, you've watched me for three years, two to three years. You've watched me in this abiding life with the Father. You've watched me in this exchanged life, if you will, in this shared life between me and the Father. All that I am is his, and all that he is is, is taking place in me. Guess what, guys? You get to experience the same in your Christian living as you surrender all that you are to me. I'm going to come inside of you and in your life, and I'm going to be all that I am inside of you. That's why right in chapter 14, after Jesus talks about the Father working through him, he says to the disciples in John 14, 12, he says, most assuredly, I always like to point out when Jesus says most assuredly, that's pretty sure. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these will he do because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Over to chapter 15, verse 15, Jesus turns to them in that beautiful chapter and he says, No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all things that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Do you see the exchange? You see that he's coming to be in us and to give to us as his disciples everything that he is as we surrender everything that we are to him. I love these concepts over and over throughout the New Testament. 
They're reiterated, repeated. Paul puts it this way in Romans chapter 8, the well-known passage where he's talking about that you are children of God. And, and he says, you are, you are led by the Spirit of God and you are, you are sons of God. And he says this in Romans 8, 15, you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, for you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, what is it? Abba, Father, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, listen, listen, if we are children, then we are heirs. Think of it tonight. We are heirs. Let that sink in tonight. He says we are heirs. We are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. You see the concept tonight? As we As a Christian, as a human being, surrenders all that he or she is to Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ comes to give and to be all that he is in us. The exchanged life, what a deal. Paul reiterates that same idea in that Galatians chapter 4 passage, same concept, where he says in Galatians 4, 6, he says, because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son, into our hearts crying out, what? Abba, Father. You know tonight in Aramaic, that is the affectionate term for Father. You know tonight that, that is, that's the term where you just, you get right up close to your dad and it's, it's the affectionate, the loving dad who just can kind of go to any time and it's the affectionate, close relationship. That's what we get to have with God tonight. And he says, therefore, you are no longer a slave but a son, in Galatians 4, 7. And if if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Perhaps the very best definition in Scripture of this, if you will, if that's an okay term, the exchanged life or this shared life with Christ, perhaps the best definition clarifying statement of it is in 2 Corinthians 5.21. What an incredible verse that is. 2 Corinthians 5.21, where Paul says this. For he, the Father, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Do you hear that tonight? He became sin that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Do you hear the exchange? Do you hear the sharing of all that I am, I give to him. I surrender all my past, all my sin, all my brokenness, all my weaknesses, all that I am to him. And in exchange, I get to have him come to live in me and, 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 and around me and through me and to be everything in me that he is the exchange life. There's, two, there's really two really important ideas in that. It is that this again, that it's, again, it's, it's the giving of all and the receiving of all that he is. And secondly, do you hear tonight there's no reservation in that on God's part? It's been said this week already, our God is not a stingy God, amen. Our God's not, he does not give in just small measure. He doesn't stand back and say, well, hey, we'll see. We'll give you a little bit and then maybe we'll see how it goes. No, we believe tonight that as we surrender all, and by the way, tonight there's no being a Christian without surrendering all, amen. There's no partway Christianity. There's no partway surrender. There's no holding something back for later. 
There's no 99% surrender. We believe tonight, especially in holiness, that there, the Christianity is a 100% surrender tonight of all I know. I know there may be stuff tonight I don't know yet that he's going to talk to me about. And hey, I'm open to that. But as far as I can know tonight, isn't it right that as far as I know tonight, Jesus, my heart is clear and I am 100% all in tonight. Amen. All that I am. And in that exchange, God does not hold back one single part of himself. He comes in his fullness. Come in thy sweetness. Come in thy fullness. Come in thine own gentle way. He comes to be all that he is, not just in part. God doesn't hold himself back in reserve. In this exchange, if it's okay to say it, in this shared life, he comes to be all that he is. What a beautiful thing that we see that in the life of Jesus and the Father. Can you see it tonight? Isn't it, what, what adjective would you use to describe the relationship that Jesus and the Father have? I mean, the beauty of that, the awe of that, the sweetness of that, the way Jesus could walk in this world where we walk, he could go through what we go through, he could experience what we experience, and he could live in that fullness of the Father as he surrendered all that he is, and the Father is all that he is in, in and through Jesus. What a sweetness, what a beauty. Does anybody hunger for that tonight in your life? You understand tonight that's the offer of the Christian life. This is not an invitation tonight to do your best. It's not an invitation tonight for us to shape up and get motivated and do better. Camp meeting is not a pep rally. <laughs> you understand tonight this is an invitation to surrender all that we are. Everything I am. All my past, all my faults, all my weaknesses, all my struggles, and exchange tonight, receive everything that he is, and to go out of this place a different person than when I came in. Don't you hunger for that tonight? The beauty and victory and power of the very relationship that Jesus has with the Father. Can I say to you tonight, that's what we were made for. Now furthermore, can I propose to you tonight that in the prayer, in verses 9 through 11, if we understand that concept, and again, still in formation, this exchanged life, this shared life, this all that I am to him, and he's all that he is in me. We see in the prayer that there are two remarkable, fantastic, spectacular products of that in the Christian life. In the life of Jesus, and then therefore in us. Two amazing products. And by the way, tonight, church, church, beloved church family here on this grounds tonight, Christianity is always the product of Jesus, not of me. Amen. It's not the product of me. It's not the product of you. It's not the product of what we can do. It is the product of him. And if it's not the product of him, it's not worth it. It's not worth anything. It's not the product of him and his spirit living within us. So when we look at this, we see two incredible products of this. One is this. Notice that as Jesus is praying and there's this whole concept of this exchange, this sharing, all that he is, the Father coming to be all that he is, and uh, giving Jesus all that he has. One amazing thing is that Jesus, as much as he is focused on the Father, he is equally focused on the disciples. That's an incredible notion, really. Jesus was focused, 100% focused on the Father, 
100% conscious of, 100% aware of the Father, and yet at the same time, he was 100% aware of, conscious of, and focused on the disciples and what was happening in them. Notice how he prays, and what he says uh, right there in verse 9. He says, I pray for them. Now, this is a prayer between Jesus and the Father. He's yielding to the Father. He's uh, submitting to the work of the Father, all that the Father wants to do. And in the middle of this prayer, near the middle, he says in verse 9, I pray for them. And in the grammar, it's really emphatic. The words, I for them. It's really emphatic. I pray, Father, for them. There's a passion in his voice. There's a cry in his heart about them. He's desperate about the Father. He's desperately dependent about the Father. And at the same time, he's desperate about them. I pray for them. Oh, for them, Father, I pray. His attention in this prayer, you'll notice, is concentrated on the disciples. What's interesting is he even says there in verse 9, he says, I do not pray for the world. Now, uh, granted tonight, the world needs a lot of prayer. Amen? The world needs a lot of prayer. We should be praying for the world. God so loved the world, he gave his only son. We pray for the world. We pray, but notice that in this prayer, Jesus is not praying for the world. He is absolutely laser focused, not only on the Father, but on the disciples. As a matter of fact, the word that he uses when he says, I pray, the word I pray, the word for pray there in Greek means to ask or inquire, which communicates the idea of when you ask about something, when you inquire about something, it means you really care or you're paying attention to something. So Jesus, you know, when you ask about something, it means you care. When you ask about something, it means you're paying attention. And so Jesus as he's praying, he's asking, he's inquiring about them. It means his, he's really caring about them. Not only now, but beyond this. Notice how in verse 11 he goes on to say, I'm no longer in the world. In other words, we'll talk about this later. But I'm on the way, Father. I'm transitioning to, to your right hand right now. But Father, I am desperately concerned. I'm desperately caring about what happens to these guys after I'm at your right hand, I come to you, and Holy Father, would you keep in your name those whom you have given me? So he cares about them even after he's gone. Can I ask you tonight what you care about? I mean, what do you really care about? Have you ever noticed that one of the ways maybe I can judge what I care about is what I ask about. Think about it that way. What lately, what this week have I asked somebody about? You know, I ask about stuff all the time. And maybe what I ask reveals what I care about. When I don't ask, maybe or maybe not it means I don't care. But for sure the stuff I ask about is stuff I care about. You know, I ask people stuff like, uh, hey, what was the score of the game? Did you hear? You know what I mean? It's been on my mind. You know, I've been kind of wondering. I follow that kind of thing, you know. You know, Paul, what are the standings in the National League Central right now? You know, what are, we, we both have teams in the National League Central. 
What are the what you know, I ask about, or I ask about something that happened on the news. Oh, I saw something on Facebook. Did you see what happened on Facebook? Oh, what was that thing on Facebook? You know, I ask because I care. I'm, I'm going to admit something embarrassing tonight. Have you ever walked away from a conversation with somebody? You know, you've been in this conversation with somebody for five minutes, ten minutes, thirty minutes, whatever. Have you ever walked away and then it struck you, as it has me, as you walked away and all of a sudden something said to you, probably the Holy Spirit, said to me, you know, I think that you did the talking the entire time. As I recollect back over that five-minute conversation, as I recollect back over that 10-minute or that 30-minute conversation, I'm not sure I can recollect even one single question I asked that person. I did all the talking. Maybe tonight what's reflected in this Jesus' prayer and asking is that he really cared. See, again, it's amazing tonight. What's, what's astounding to me is that Jesus is able to care and be aware of 100% about the Father, and yet at the same time, he cares 100% about the disciples. It's not exclusive, it's not separate. Hold on, guys, I can't focus on you right now, I'm focusing on the Father. Matter of fact, tonight, what if, what if the awareness of him, what if an attentiveness to him, what if a sensitivity to him tonight is what makes me sensitive to others? I think of being a dad tonight. It's something I think about a lot. I need a lot of prayer for. Would you pray for me? <laughs> I want to be a godly dad. One of these days, I want to be a godly granddad. But as a dad, I want to I be aware of, I want to be sensitive to, I want to be aware of and, and, and care about the needs of my family. Don't you tonight, any dads out there? I want to be sensitive to, I want to care. I'm, but isn't it interesting tonight that maybe the best way to be a godly dad that cares about and is sensitive to and is in tune with the needs of your family is to be in tune with him. <laughs> And maybe the best way tonight to be a mom or a wife or a husband. Boy, husbands, we need this tonight, don't we? Any husbands out there need to be in tune? Maybe the best way to be aware of my wife. Maybe the best way to be sensitive to her needs. Maybe the best way to be tuned in is to get tuned into Jesus like I never have. And let his attention to her become my attention. We're on this grounds this week. Man, how many people do I pass by? You know, I'm always in a hurry here, you know. There's always something to do here at camp. You're going to a meal, you're going to a service, you're going to the shower, you're going to this, you're going to the snack shack, whatever. And it's like, how many people do I pass on this campground that have some kind of a need in their lives? And man, they need some care and they need some attention and they need somebody to stop and ask them something like, how are you or what's going on? Or, hey, I'm noticing something, what's up? And maybe the best way for me to be in tune with that is to be in tune with him. And say, Jesus, would you, as I surrender all that I am to you, would you just be all that you are in me, including your sensitivity to your eyes, your discernment, your, your, your sense of, of care about those around me, to be in tune with him tonight, his life, 
Are you attentive tonight? Finally, one other incredible product in the prayer of this exchanged life. And again, the first product of that was this care, this asking, this care, this focus on others instead of just myself. Focused on him, yes, but it's not exclusive. Because the more I'm open, the more I'm sensitive to, he's going to produce his care, his sensitivity, his discernment for others. But I'm noticing in the prayer that one more product of this exchanged life, this shared life, is oneness. It's an amazing thing, really. For me to become one with him and for me to surrender my all to him to receive all that he is and for you to become one with him and surrender all that you are and receive all that he is and let him be all that he is in you and for somebody else produces an amazing, really it's the only way for oneness to happen between us. In the prayer we see Jesus really cares about oneness. Really all throughout the prayer, but we're, we're here in verse 11, so let's just look there. Look at the end of verse 11, and really comes down to that end of verse 11, and he says this, that they may be one. And we learned several days ago that in that Greek, the word that is a purpose statement. So this is a really big idea, really important idea to Jesus. He's saying that, oh, Father, I'm praying all this. Hey, Father, the whole purpose of this, hey, what I'm praying for them is that they may be one. You say, John, you're making a big deal about that. Not really. If you look down later in the prayer, verses 21, 22, 23, and every single one of those, he mentions our, that's us tonight, our oneness. See verse 21? He says that, oh, there's another one of those purpose statements. Everything I've been praying, Father, now in verse 21, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may be one in us. That the world may believe that you sent me. Verse 22, and the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one as we, well, as we are one, really? Really? The same kind of oneness in the triune God between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that we would experience that kind of oneness in Him? That's pretty radical. In verse 23, I in them, you in me, that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. It's, in, it's, it's a common idea. It's a common principle in John that when we abide in him, this is what chapter 15 said. First eight verses of chapter 15. Abide in me, I in you. All that you are so that I can be all that I am in you. Surrender to me. Exchange. Wouldn't it be a fair trade? Give up all that I am tonight and let him come all, be all that he is. Abide in me and I in you. That's, that's verses 1 through 8. You know what the next passage is in John 15? Beginning of verse 9. Love one another as I have loved you. That the product, the fruit of this abiding, of this exchange shared life 
is the love and oneness with one another. Over and over again. Abide and love. Surrender, exchange, oneness. And you understand tonight, folks, that the whole, remember the theme of this prayer, the glory of God and Jesus praised this because this, I tell you tonight, on the authority of God's word, this kind of oneness, as there's enough people in the body of Christ, as there, there is a grouping of individuals who all surrender themselves completely to Jesus Christ, and let him through the Holy Spirit come to be inside and through them all that he is. And when that happens among us together, you know what happens? Oneness and the glory of God shows up. That's the glory of God. You want to see the glory of God show up? You want to see God move in a mighty way and impact a family? You want to see God come and move in a mighty way and impact a community? You want to see God come and impact a nation? Oneness in Christ. I say to you tonight, I propose to you tonight, if there's anything that is going to win the world to Jesus in our day, it is the oneness of Christians in Christ. Dr. Whiteford preached a beautiful message on this this morning. You should get the recording from 1 Corinthians. It is the oneness of Christians. See, we're, we convince ourselves, I convince myself of all kinds of things. Well, we need to win the world. We have all of our strategies. It's going to be this kind of music. That's what's going to win our community. It's going to be, hey, great preaching. That's what's going to win them. Can I tell you tonight? The only thing that's going to win people that don't know Jesus to Jesus is the glory of God that shows up through the oneness of Christians who've all surrendered all that they are to Jesus so he can be all that he is in them. It's the only shout we got. Some of you uh, know I'm an evangelist. Some of you know that I've also been a pastor. Most of you did not know that I've been a missionary. Arkansas. Trina and I pastored a church in Arkansas. This Yankee, this Chicago-born Yankee. Went and pastored in Arkansas. It was a rough couple years, to be honest. Our church was a challenge. I'd just come off the road from being an evangelist for seven years. I was still... Younger than I am now. Thought I knew everything. Thought my great preaching would double the church within a year. But I'm convinced God took us there and there are two life lessons that he taught me. One was to be broken and humbled before him. And I wouldn't trade that for the world, as painful as it was. The second thing was about how oneness works in the kingdom. See, in that little town in Arkansas, by God's grace and God's leading, I made friends with two pastors in that town. The United Methodist pastor and the Assembly of God pastor. And for the next two years, 
those three pastors, the Nazarene guy, the United Methodist guy, and the Assembly of God guy became inseparable. We met together every week. We fell in love with each other. We liked each other so much, we started sharing our pulpits with each other. That's pretty radical, folks. Radical. We used to have a community service once a year, Thanksgiving. We said, that's not enough. We like this. Our churches started liking it. The Nazarenes and the United Methodists and the Assembly of God people started liking each other. And we decided that wasn't enough. We started having a quarterly community service. And oh, God, God was moving. We'd share each other's pulpits. We said, that's not enough. We started training pulpits and having a community service once a month on a Sunday night. We loved each other. I was getting beat up to death in my church. Trina and I were literally perishing day by day in our church, but in this community, there was this love that began to develop. The Nazarenes, the, Pente- the Assembly of God, and, and the United Methodist pastor, and the churches, and, and there was this love affair that developed. And I want to tell you tonight, in that time that was not an easy time, I want to tell you tonight that people in the community began to notice. People that didn't go to church, people down at the school, people at the gas station, people were talking around town. Can you believe these, can you believe these churches? They're getting along. <laughs> they actually like each other. <laughs> they get together and worship. Can I tell you tonight, everybody? When we surrender all that we are and he comes to be all that he is in us and the product of that becomes oneness in Christ, can I tell you tonight, that's when God shows up. And that's what's going to get the attention of your community. That's what's going to get the attention when we can love. What about within our church? If we can even begin to love each other in our church. You say, John, how in the world is that going to happen? I don't even like those people. But man, when we surrender all that we are and Jesus comes to be all that he is in us, he can change us. And he makes us one. Can I tell you tonight, it's not the silly things that we think in our mind that make us one. See, we have all these ideas when I was at my next pastorate. We developed this. I was trying to help our people think through things more clearly. So if you want to have something at the church, you have to fill out this form. I thought this was brilliant. You got to fill out this form. And at the bottom, you have to tell us what's the, what's the kingdom purpose for having this. And so I thought I was being smart about it, but they... they out, Foxed me and they had it figured out. So basically, the idea for being one in our church, it, I'm telling you, 90% of the time it was the same answer. 90% of the time, same thing. Hey, we need more oneness at our church. And we all know here tonight, the answer to being one is eating more together. That's what it is. If we can just have more potluck fellowships, that pastor is what's going to produce unity in our church. You and I know well tonight. We know well. We can eat together all we want. It does not necessarily produce the oneness of Christ. Can I say to you tonight in love, neither is it the kind of music that we like. Is there anybody here tonight besides me? Jesus, give me grace in this. Is there anybody here tonight besides me that's fed up with worship wars? Most stupid, 
ungodly, unholy thing there ever was. If we're going to be one, we better like my kind of music. So we cater to this group, we cater to this group, and I keep asking myself a question. When we cater to ourselves, when, when it's all about me and, hey, we want to make sure you like it and, oh, it's, you know, we don't want to upset anybody and we want, to want you to, we want you to have your kind of music that you like and your kind of service that you like. Oh, is the order of service okay? Oh, thank you. It's, you want to make sure it's all, it's all like you like it and we cater to that. One question I've been asking myself lately is when do we ever get around to the holiness part? When is it that we say, oh, by the way, it's all about dying to yourself? And I've said it before, and I'll say it again, and I stand to it to this day. If we want to all get on common ground and worship Jesus with polka music, I'm all in. I don't care what kind of music it is. See, we ought to be mature enough in the holiness church, and I'm talking to all of us tonight on both sides of the aisle, We ought to be mature enough in our holiness message to say, it is not about me. It is not about me. And Jesus, I want to surrender all that I am, including my preference on music. I want to surrender all that I am, including my preference on order of service, whatever, whether the order of sacraments, whatever. Oh, we didn't say that. Oh, we didn't do that. I want to surrender all that I am so you can be all that you are in me, And man, just to do that together, and I promise you tonight, everybody, when that happens in a church, if we could just say, Jesus, I don't care what kind of music it is. Hey, God, if it's all hymns, I'm okay. If it's all contemporary, I'm okay. If it's all a blend of it, I'm okay. How about this? Let's say, hey, it doesn't matter what it is. I don't care what it is. We're okay with it in the church, right? It's not about us. Amen. Not about us. Let's find out what our community will minister to them, and let's help invite them in. But Jesus, it's all about you. And it's all about your awareness of others. Because the product, everybody, tonight of the exchange life is oneness, the glory of God. But I tell you tonight, that only comes from a heart, shared values of the heart. We are not going to produce oneness with music. We are not going to produce, I don't want to burst your bubble tonight. We're not going to produce oneness with potlucks. Sorry. We're not going to produce oneness with a schedule that everybody likes. We're never going to produce oneness with a dress code. We're never going to produce oneness with rules. We're never going to produce the oneness that's going to win the world with any of those things. But it's only going to come with changed hearts that are absolutely surrendered to him with all that they are so he can be all that he is in us. That's what will produce the oneness that wins the world. That and that alone. Wouldn't that be amazing? Boy, this would be so freeing. It's okay for us to be different. It's okay to like your kind. It's okay to like my kind. Wouldn't it be amazing? This would be miraculous. Can you imagine the oneness of Jesus between Michigan and Ohio State? Wow. Can you imagine all these Ohio State people? We love you, Michigan. We love you in Jesus' name.
Can you imagine he shared this so beautifully this morning? Political persuasions, hey, I have my views, no problem. But man, we love you in Jesus' name. Doesn't mean we accept everything. Doesn't mean we condone everything. But man, we love you in Jesus' name. Oh, you watch that work? Oh, I love you in Jesus' name. I'm gonna ask Grace and Ron to come and help me. Who tonight, who tonight, who here tonight is willing for an exchanged life? All that I am, every preference, every pattern, all that I am, all that I've been. There's somebody here tonight that's saying, man, I don't, John, you don't know where I've been. And you don't know the past that I have. And you don't know the brokenness. You don't know the shame of that. I say to you tonight, he takes all that I am to come to be all that he is. All that I am. You say, you don't know what a nasty person I really am in real life. He takes all that I am. There's two Astounding things that come to mind for me in this tonight. The beauty of a spiraling relationship with Jesus. The beauty of a new surrender tonight. One of my aches in my heart for our holiness church, for all Christians everywhere, is that beloved in Christ, we would never get away from surrendering to Him anew. The beauty of the new surrender, of the knowing you in a new way, of Jesus, thank you for speaking to me again. Oh, you pricked my, how'd you do that, God? You caught me, you pricked my heart again. Oh, Jesus, I see something in you. I want to press in even closer tonight, you. I want to press in even closer, Jesus. Oh, it's been wonderful. But the longer I serve you, the sweeter you grow. I want to spiral more tightly into you. I want to weave into you. I want to press into you like I've never. Oh, God, I have in the past. Oh, I press into you all I know. But Jesus, I feel your pull tonight. I feel the gravity of who you are. I feel the sweet draw, the sweet embrace of who you are. I want to press into you even tighter tonight. I wonder tonight. Are there any of our teens tonight? How many teens tonight would want to press into Jesus closely? I've been so impressed in this camp with the, the way our teens respond. One thing I've thought about is some of the younger ones come. I wonder tonight, are there any of the older teens that have been around the program a little while longer that would want to just press in closer tonight to Jesus? A new surrender? Lead the way for those young ones. Just, hey, Jesus, I want a new level with you tonight. I wonder if there's anybody here tonight that's been around this camp for a while now. And when you've had these great experiences of the past with Jesus, but Jesus wants to spiral me into a new level tonight with him. Anybody tonight? And one more thing. When we do that together tonight, you know what's going to happen, beloved? The glory of God, 
as we press in, as we spiral in closer, as we seek Him more, the spiraling of God tonight. The glory of God begins to show up. That's what's going to win Mount Vernon. That's what's going to impact your church. That's what's going to impact your families. So I'm, I'm wondering tonight as Ron leads us in just a second. Our altar's open here. There's a front row that's open. If you can't kneel, then you can sit. Or you could do something tonight to raise a hand or to, or to stand up or to something tonight to say, Jesus, closer in, spiraling tighter so you can produce the product of who you are. All that I am, Jesus, in a new way. All that I am to know all that you are. So Ron leads us tonight. Would you? Would you take that? Would you make that exchange tonight, that shared life, in a new way? Would you come and join us tonight in that? I am thine, O Lord. I have heard thy voice, and it told thy love to me. But I long to rise in the arms of faith and be close.
Our gracious God, is there any greater exchange than to exchange our sin for your salvation? To exchange our brokenness for your wholeness? Lord, in the end, that's victory in Jesus. That's winning. Lord, ultimately, the purpose of that isn't for us simply to have our own salvation. It's not really to settle only in ourselves and say, I've got it made. Lord, ultimately, as we've been reminded tonight, it's about oneness. Being one in Jesus, that we might win the world. So, Lord, if we've been stirred tonight, moved tonight, we don't want to stay there. It costs us to respond. For those who have already responded, Lord, we pray, knowing you to be faithful, to do business. Lord, if there are any who know they need to respond, then may they do so quickly. Father, if our consciences are clear, May we go in the peace that is ours, knowing that we have gained all because we have you. Lord, glorify yourself in us and through us. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.